Well, here we are. It's really weird. I'll be honest. I was just telling a couple people walking in, I got to fix my jeans. They're bugging me. Um, <laughs> that I was like, I don't know if I know how to do this anymore. I've been so used to looking at a camera that's about this far in front of my face. So it's weird and I'm nervous and that's okay. That's okay because the Lord's with us. Um, over the last few months, man, we've been in need of the Lord, haven't we? We have. We have been needed to hear his voice. I've needed truth more than I've ever needed in my life. I've been in times when I've been anxious and upset more often, and I've gone to these places where every other day, maybe one day I'm doing well, the next day I'm struggling and needing to hear his word and needing to understand the truth of who he is. And so we have a phrase around here. One of our grace anchors is that his gospel is all we need for this life and the next. And we felt it was appropriate to jump into one of the first hand accounts of who Jesus was in the gospel of Luke uh, to anchor ourselves over the next however many months. We're going to need it. We're going to need it. I think we're going to need it more than ever as our country heads into this election year. As we continue to move forward with this pandemic, whatever God is doing, we will need the truth of God's word. And so here's my challenge to you. Uh, for the first century Christians, as they read this book together, it was like eating their last meal together every time they opened it. It was a lifeline. For us, maybe we were like, oh yeah, I know that book. I've been there. Can I challenge you for it to be something for you that is a lifeline? Maybe something that you have, you're not expecting. Because um, what we're studying today, what we're going to look at over the next few weeks, it's here because the first group of people actually believed it was God's word. And they believed enough in the truth of its contents to give their lives so that you and I could hear it today, could understand it. So I wanna um, just quickly, and I'm just gonna, I want you to, if you feel comfortable, open your hands. I'm just gonna pray and ask the Lord to do amazing things in our hearts through the gospel of Luke. Lord, we open our hearts to you. Lord, if we've read this book a thousand times, if this is the first time, we say, Jesus, let your story change our life. God, we need you. Just encourage you in your own heart to say that, Lord, I need you. I need to know your truth. I need to understand. Fill us, Lord, with your grace. Fill us with life, Lord. Let it be a lifeline to us. Let it be as if it is a last meal for us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're just gonna open Luke chapter one. If you have a Bible, encourage you to get one. Um, bring it with you, open your device. Uh, you can also just listen. If those are online, it'll be on the screen. Um, Luke chapter one, and here's the intro. Inasmuch, and this is uh, Luke speaking to his friend, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So in other words, lots of people have tried to tell this story, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, they were there. They saw it with their own eyes and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also. So this is Luke writing to his friend. It seemed good to me having followed all this stuff, all these things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus. Now, and he says, here's why. That you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. 
that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. So here's the cool thing about the gospel. It was always one friend telling another friend, I want you to know this story. I want you to know this truth. And so you're, you're reading somebody's mail. Luke said, I'm going to write, and this is actually part one of a two-part letter, Luke Acts. This is both written by Luke and written to Theophilus. I want you to know this. I want you to understand Luke was a doctor. We know that from another passage of scripture. He was probably a Gentile believer, meaning he wasn't of the Jewish faith. Somebody had told him about this. He believed he's speaking to another guy who was a Gentile, someone who doesn't know. So this should encourage us. Whenever you hear that word Gentile, just think me, you, like that's, that's us. That's we're not of the original Jewish group of people. We know this. We're hearing this today because somebody said, I want you to know this. So that's Luke. Jesus promised, hey, I'm going to be with you as you go and speak. So God is with him. And I want to warn you this morning, God likes to write the Bible on hearts. He likes to write the Bible on hearts. He likes to change us from the inside out. A good book or a fictional tale may stay with you for a while. I've, re- I've been reading, listening to lots of uh, audiobooks and reading over this COVID. You know, it's not even like whatever you call it, just staying at home. Like I've been lots of stories. You think about them, they affect you a little bit. A law book may tell you in the most boring fashion that you are in compliance or violation of said statute or law. Textbook, it's gonna help you out in your school your work or profession, an owner's manual might be cracked if you drop your pride enough to open it up and look at it. I remember once my dad was like, was trying to help me put in a garage door opener. And he goes, you need to go inside and read this manual from start to finish. I was like, I am not doing that. So some of us might crack a textbook open. A nonfiction book could get you thinking or talking about something. Social media, do we even need to say it? It's like cotton candy that has hot water poured on it immediately. There's nothing there. We know that, right? We know that. Even if everybody thinks, I'm just going to have to say my opinion because nobody else has heard it. We know it's, it's not the kind of thing that stays with you. It changes by the next day. But that's not what this is. Theophilus says, Luke says to Theophilus, that is not what this is. This is not going to be some story that you'll forget. This is an inside, behind-the-scenes look from Luke to his friend And he says, look, I've pulled together eyewitness accounts from people who were actually there. It was written probably 50 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead. So it's close. Some of those people are still alive. He's able to talk to them, to ask them, tell me what you saw. You're reading his mail to his friend. And here's what he says. Dear Theophilus, I want to tell you a story and I want you to put down everything else in your life because this isn't just any story. It's the most important story in the world. It's the most important story in the world. Now you may say, "Mm, I don't know. Now maybe your religious side might go, okay, fine. You have to say that. But the most important story in the world. What do I mean? What's implied? First, I want you to listen. I think Luke was saying this to Theophilus and I'm saying it to you and I'm saying it to myself, especially during this time. Listen like your very life depends on it because it does. Listen like your very life depends on it. Second, Theophilus 
was a guy who was thinking about this stuff already. He knew about Christianity. He knew about Jesus a little bit. He'd been around people. So what is Luke saying? I want to invite you to read this for yourself, for life, for your future, for who you are going to be. You may be the oldest and most faithful church attender ever, having been in church and never missed a Sunday in 40 years, except for the last five months, <laughs> right? You were sleeping in, I'm, you know. Some, it may be your first time. You may be considering this. There's, but may we all listen with a newness. The way Luke was inviting Theophilus, don't just read this, don't just listen. Listen like your life depends on it. Another reason is we have an opportunity to realize that it has been written for us. The ink is still wet. It's a living document. Now, it doesn't mean it can be changed, that the truth can be altered. But what it does mean is that the end of it has a blank space for a list of names. The application of the truth has an unfinished part of it. It's, a, it's as if he's saying, Lucas and Theophilus, read this story, listen to this story, and then see if your name is indeed written in the end. That's the invitation for us too. Is your name included in this story of who God is and what he has come to do? The ending, the eventual conclusion, and really the beginning of your story is left to be determined. Is it gonna happen for you? Is that something? Luke invites us as he invited his friend. And as I said at the beginning, so you can be certain. Certain of what? Certain of the things you've been taught People know about Jesus. They've heard something. They know he can be the center of heated discussions, um, that he was a great prophet, a teacher, maybe that he taught about love or something. That's up for debate as well about what love is. But do you know him? Are you certain of him? It's an invitation to be certain of eternity, of your eternity. Let's read it the way Theophilus did. I want you to imagine Theophilus. I always try to picture people, so I don't know what he looked like. Maybe an older gentleman, you know, kind of been around, done a lot of things, knows a lot of people, but just imagine him receiving this letter and cracking it open for the first time, unrolling the scroll. His heart's a little anticipating because he knows kind of what this is about. And he reads this, verse five. In the days of Herod, which anybody at that time would have been like, Ugh. like as soon as they said Herod, they would have been like, Ugh. just kind of a, the guy you didn't like. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. You're kind of getting his resume here. It's an important one. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Wow, street cred. These people are like from the original group. And her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. And both, I love this, were advanced in years. It's a nice way to say it. they were old. Okay, past the baby time. <laughs> advanced, past the baby time. So he's, now he, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, which is God-ordained dice. Don't you wish we still had those? <laughs> what am I supposed to do, Lord? Roll the dice. Back then they had something. They did. 
And God was like, yeah, that's cool. So he's chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And we'll talk about how important that was in a minute. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside as he went in at the hour of incense. So just picking up a couple of things, Theophilus picks this up and he, and he reads when Herod was king and he would have like been, oh, everybody knows about that guy. So much packed in just to that sentence. Um, and definitely some connections to our world. He was a bad leader. He was a corrupt king. No, I'm not saying anything about our leader or other leaders of the world, but are we ever experiencing bad government, bad leadership around the world in the history of humanity? Have we experienced those things? Yeah, sure. We can relate. Um, Did he do some great things? Yeah, he built the temple. He built some great architecture, but he was so feared even by his own family, he killed one of his own sons because he felt threatened by him. Oh, thanks, dad. That's not a good dad. That's not somebody you want. He divorced his first wife so he could marry his brother's wife. Hmm. When Herod was king. Okay, so this is what they're experiencing. He's a tyrant. Now we can connect and relate because they would say it was an unsettling time as far as leadership and governments go. Can we all say it is a little bit unsettling? Right? Can we just at least agree on that? It's unsettling right now. Yeah, it's, is it divided? Do, we, do any of us really think there's somebody who can bring all however million, hundred million of us together? Yeah, that's pretty much, we know that. But when we think about human governments, we might as well say, yeah, Herod is, and he's going to be, and there's going to be a bunch of Herods after him. That's what it feels like, right? I'm not saying anything about your candidate. I'm not trying to put any kind of dirt on your stuff. I know there's good things. There's common grace. I've noted that before. But we can relate when we read something that says, when Herod was king, it's almost like you could say, yeah, back in 2020, (laughs) when things were, were hard. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, if you could sit down with them, these are people I want to sit with in heaven. I don't know if you do. I want to hang out. Coffee. Are you a tea person, Elizabeth? Okay, we'll do tea. Um, I want to sit down with them and I want to hear about their life, what it was like. I want to hear like how, what it's been like to be in heaven for the last 2,000 years. This is pretty cool. Um, but I could tell them, hey, pff, listen, let me tell you about 2020 on earth. <laughs> Planet earth, we got Republicans, we got Democrats and COVID-19 and China, all kinds of crazy stuff. Like things are happening. They would tell you, Oh, that's nothing. We were under Herod. That's how hard it was. That's how difficult it was. Our cast of characters, we have a priest with some credibility. He's from the line of Aaron. His sweet wife, Elizabeth, they're faithful. They're careful to obey God's word. They're devout. They're righteous in God's eyes. What could go wrong? Yet they can't have a baby. It doesn't mean for those, you know, who think about these things, a lot of times when that's communicated in a text, it probably means that they've tried and maybe even lost children. There's heartbreak, there's grief, there's stuff going on. They're doing life, they're struggling in life, they're hoping, they're doubting sometimes, they're trying their hardest to follow, they're still running into struggles. Does any of this feel familiar? Yeah, it's life. So we have an oppressive government. Herod is king. We have a couple with a connection to a very old and sacred promises and practices. The line of Aaron, the priesthood, life is hard. They're trying to follow God. They're trying to love each other. They're trying to have a baby. Their hopes have been dashed. In other words, it was a normal day in August. 
That's what you need to read when you read these few lines. It was a normal day in August for them and for us. Just stuff. And we all know there's no such thing as normal now, right? (laughs) What is normal? What is back to normal? Nobody knows. We have life happening at what seems like 100 miles an hour. We try to slow it down. It spins faster. And in the middle of it all, we're just trying to live. We're just trying to live life. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to enjoy my family. We want to eat to get dinner together, maybe at least twice a week. We want to find friends, a potential spouse. We want to go to school. We want to make it through work. We want to have a baby. We want to weather a very difficult sickness or a pandemic. We want to say goodbye to those people who are graduating to heaven, to eternity. We want to love the Lord. We want to believe in his promises. We want to put aside our fears about life in a pandemic and an uncertain future. Just a normal day in August, right? That's what they were experiencing. And it is in this day-to-day life of normal that God loves to bring the abnormal, loves to interrupt. So Zechariah is chosen by the dice, by lot. So here's why this was so, if you miss this, if you don't think about this, Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests. 18,000. As a priest, you served two weeks a year. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Just two weeks. That's all you got. And of those two weeks, you might be called on to serve one time in your life, in your life to do what he's about to do. Oh, that's a big deal. This is his once in a lifetime, literally, opportunity to serve in the temple. So it's a big deal. It's a big shot. He doesn't want to waste. He doesn't want to throw away his shot. He wants to get up there, do it right. So you can almost picture Elizabeth like messing with his robes, brushing. Oh my goodness, your beard is so scraggly today, pushing it in. Like you can't do your one thing looking like this. He's like, leave me alone, woman. You know, (laughs) he's going to go in and do his thing. And what he thinks is just his one shot, something else is going on. Something way more important than just performing your duty and doing your thing. This is way more than a normal day in August. Zechariah just happens to be chosen. He just happens to have a wife who can't have a baby. He just happens to be someone who's hoping for better things who happens to be a priest serving in a system that hadn't heard from God in 400 years. You think your life is tough from feeling encouragement from the Lord? 400 years. This seems like a setup, doesn't it? So Theophilus, hang on. Verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, when you read that, and actually in my notes, I made it red because it's like fire. What's happening here? We read this and we're like, and there was an angel standing to the side of the altar. <laughs> we, we read it with that kind of tone because we've heard it so many times. But for Zechariah, he was needing to change. Okay. Like it was that, that's always that scary, like terrified. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Yeah, you can say that again. Fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before the Lord. 
He must not drink wine or strong drink. No, that wasn't forbidding that forever. It was a clear sign of an Old Testament connection to somebody who would be set apart and devoted to the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Look at this. He will turn many. Turn them. Their hearts will be turned. Many of the children of Israel to God. And he'll go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. When people talk about their lives being changed by the Lord, by the gospel, by the Holy Spirit, there is always an element of suddenly, out of nowhere, I wasn't expecting this. And for Zechariah, he was like, I was scared to death. I thought everybody that sees an angel in the Bible doesn't say, you're so beautiful and bright and furry. Like they never say that. They say, I don't want to die because it was a warrior for God coming to deliver a message. Zechariah had zero expectations when he went in to do his church thing, right? Just going in, going to do my thing. Yeah, it was a big deal, but nobody heard anything for 400 years. He's going to go in. It's going to be a normal day. When we give in to this is just how things are, this is just how things are. Church is always going to be this way. Kind of like the church is taking a nosedive. People are going to stop coming. We'll just decide from home whether or not we really want to believe this anymore. It's just going to be keep heading downhill. It's getting worse. Things are going to be awful for Christians. Shouldn't expect too much from the Lord. Zechariah would say, woo watch out. Watch out. When you get to that place where you start saying those kinds of things and you were unexpected, you don't even think God can do anything anymore. Maybe that's how you feel. Unexpected. Just trying to get through. Even church is messed up now. You know, typically, and I'll say this and it's okay, however you end up doing things and however you move forward. Every other church I've heard that has opened and opened like this has had the numbers go Because people come in and they're like, well, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And as we've said, I said it online, you decide how you want to worship during this time. We understand there's different things, but I don't want to give in to that being (sighs) unexpected. It's just going to be hard. Things aren't going to go so well. You know, there's a large movement in progressive circles of religion. Notice I don't say Christianity to say that the supernatural actually believing God's word, Jesus being a real king, not a symbolic king, the resurrection of the dead, you know, all that stuff is just the stuff of, I don't know, your grandparents' religion. Maybe they didn't even believe it either. For many, what's more acceptable in culture, which parentheses, whenever you say that phrase, you're off. (laughs) You're off. If you're looking for this to be accepted on the news for people to go, good job, Christians, way to stay in line and not cause trouble. We're in trouble. But just to play along for a second, what's more acceptable is to make the world better. Make the world as best as it can be. Let's be good. Let's do kind things. Let's be loving. Just do your temple thing, Zechariah. Nobody knows what it's doing. We haven't heard from God in 400 years. But hey, we'll have a party afterwards. We'll have some food. It'll be great. You're all dressed up. Don't get dressed up for nothing. Let's do something afterwards. 
unexpectant. And they may say things like, you know, Jesus came to be loving and to show us how to love each other, all that other stuff about sin and judgment and God actually dealing with sin in a wrathful way. I mean, come on. That's not what all this is about anymore, is it? God doesn't speak. And even what he said, you know, this through the Bible, I mean, can we even trust it? So done playing along there. For Zechariah and maybe for you, the days of God actually showing up, vanquishing enemies, speaking, revealing himself in fire, smoke, and fantastic miracles, this stuff doesn't really happen anymore, does it? So when an angel shows up during his church time, Zechariah might have been thinking, this isn't supposed to happen at church. This isn't supposed to happen at church. I pray we are able to say that over the next few years. This isn't supposed to happen in Christianity, but not with a, oh my gosh, we're scared of this, but like, this is awesome. This is awesome what God is doing. I've been watching, I don't know if you've seen some in California, Huntington Beach, like 5,000 people showing up on the beach for church. Hundreds getting baptized, worshiping. God's wanting to do something. But we might say, like Zechariah, I didn't think you actually, you know, spoke (laughs) or said things or did things anymore. I mean, when I prayed for those things, you know, like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I didn't actually expect it to come. Isn't this all kind of symbolic? Yet here he is, terrified by an angel in his face, thinking he's going to die. And what does he hear? And this should encourage you. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Has Zechariah been praying for grand things? No. He's been praying for his wife to have a baby. The Lord loves to meet us in those places. Your prayer, Zechariah, Elizabeth's prayer, just to have a baby has been heard. He wasn't thinking about anything grander than that. I mean, he wanted to be faithful to God, to serve in the temple, to love the Lord, to have a full life, a family, not to be killed by that crazy Herod, you know, normal stuff. But as is often the case, God has other plans, better plans, plans that will blow your mind, plans that might even change the world. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. You're going to have a baby, but it gets better. You're going to have joy and gladness for the fact that you're going to have a baby, and you guys are super old. I don't know if the angel said that, but you're old, like impossible, but you're going to have a baby, but it gets better. Many will rejoice at his birth. He's going to be great. Wow, Lord. I mean, I was hoping for T-ball and little league in summer, maybe a little hockey in winter, but people are going to rejoice in my son's birth. His life will be a beacon a signpost, a wake-up call, a lifeline. Oh, no pressure. As we said, he'll turn many. Now, if you had a vision of an angel later today at Menards, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) I've been there a lot. Um, You're at Menards, you're there with your mask on, and then that big nine-foot angel comes, and you start screaming in the aisle. And you came out and said, I heard a message from God in Menards. Everybody needs to hear this. What are people going to say about me? They're going to say, whoa, Pleasant Valley, 
We already thought you were weird, but your pastor's gone cuckoo. Even for Zechariah, nobody's expecting him to come out and actually say anything other than, let's go eat. You did your thing. So when he comes out, he's got to be saying, is this real? Is this real? Did I eat something last night? Bad piece of fish? What am I supposed to do with this? So Zechariah asked a question, which you can hear the music. If you're listening to the music of the Bible in this part, it's ominous. It's, it's that, movie, that moment in a movie, the scary movie, where you see the person going, I really should get out of the house, but I'm going to go down in the basement. <laughs> and you're like, no! And did you ever do that where you like walk out of the room because you don't want to see it either? And there he goes. Don't do it, Zechariah. Down into the basement. Verse 18. So Zechariah said to the angel, dun, dun, dun. Uh, how shall I know this? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> if Elizabeth was there, she'd be like, smack him on the shoulder. <clears throat> so here's the cue. The music goes from ominous to like, like ramps up. The angel gets super bright or something like that and says to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you didn't believe my words, you dummy. That's not what he says, but which will be fulfilled, even though you're not believing, they will be fulfilled. So Zechariah comes out, verse 21, the people are waiting for him. Come on, the potluck is ready. Let's go eat. They're wondering why it's taking him so long. When he comes out, he's unable to speak to them. And they realize, oh my goodness, he's seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Lo and behold, and for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So you watch this happening and you say, Zechariah, my man, what were you thinking? I told you not to go into that basement. You knew there was a guy with a chainsaw down there. <laughs> this was your shot. You blew it. You waited your whole life for your one opportunity to perform your priestly duties and you get an angel. You got an angel. And your first thought is to doubt what he said. What is wrong with you? Imagine the scene back in heaven. Almighty God, Gabriel is here reporting back from delivering phase one of Operation Save Humanity. Yes, send him in. How did it go? Well, he didn't believe me. What do you mean he didn't believe you? Nope, so I silenced him. You silenced him? He's the one who's supposed to tell everybody. <laughs> it's not what happened, is it? God's never surprised. It's not like, oh my, you silenced him? Why'd you do that? If the message of salvation was dependent on us, on you and me, that we would believe, we would never doubt, and we would tell others, it's game over. It's game over. God knew this would happen. He wasn't even the slightest dependent on Zechariah to believe right away or even to be able to speak to get things done. Take great encouragement from this. Take great encouragement from this. He does get a reprimand from Gabriel, but does it change the promise? No, the mission's still on. The mission is still on 
And it was a mission that was set in motion for the whole world. What does this tell me and you about God's work in our lives? Simply this, grace doesn't rely on you for results. Grace doesn't rely on you. The people outside, they're praying, but it's kind of religious prayer. They're not really praying for God to speak or anything. They're just like doing their thing. They're not expecting anything great. They're used to disappointment when it comes to the things of God. They haven't heard from him in years. So it's kind of more of a tradition to do it. And then they're going to go eat. Here he comes, Zechariah. You did it. How was it? How... What's wrong with you? Elizabeth, your, white, your husband looks sick. He's white as a ghost. He's all horse-eyed like this. <laughs> oh, man, this was not a good, good thing. You're one shot. Somebody call a doctor or something. This is God's plan unfolding. This. <laughs> this is God's plan unfolding. Are you kidding me? This is how the mission unfolds to save humanity? How's this going to be anything but a big fat flop? But the truth of all of it, Gabriel knew what was going to happen. God told him, hey, by the way, dude's not going to believe you. So here's the mute button. Take it with you. Be ready. I knew you. You know, like mutes him right away. What does this say to us? You want to doubt? Go ahead. You want to run? Run. You want to resist him? You want to push back? You want to say he's not real? You want to say this isn't real? Go ahead. But I'll warn you, he's coming for you. He's coming for you. That's what this tells me. His promises for you are real. And they're not dependent on you. If he wants you, he can get you. His plan for you, your family, for the world. Even if you try to throw some serious doubt and shade on the Lord, he's going to do it anyway. That's grace. While we were still sinners, not while we were cheering, yes, we believe, come on, God, die for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And as he did with Zechariah, he may just give you some time to think about what you're doubting and saying with maybe the, without the ability to say anything else, to have some serious time of reflection. This is just like the Lord. This is just like the Lord. Is this who I know him to be? Even when I don't think that you're working, you never stop, you never stop working. That's our God. That's what he does behind the scenes, especially when you resist. <laughs> especially when you resist. It's almost, I've heard more so that people that actually dig in and say, I will resist you, they're easier to knock over. God comes after them. So Theophilus and anybody else who's listening, there's so much more to say. But I have to ask you, do you know your place? Are you getting a hint at all of your place in this story? Are you already experiencing the weight and wonder of what I'm about to tell you? I hope so. Because I think God is writing you into this narrative. You know, those blanks at the end that are left for names? I think your name's supposed to be there. That's really what evangelism is. And if evangelism is a fancy word for you, it just means telling others about the good news of Jesus. 
Evangelism is informing people that there is a spot for their name and that most likely that name was written before the foundation of the world. So they better just give up. They better stop running. They start knowing, be expectant to what the Lord is going to do.